keep calm and carry on. I think it's a really dangerous slogan and I, I can understand obviously the intention behind it. No wonder so many people suffer with stress and anxiety because we're just told to keep calm and carry on. Welcome to the Journey Into Podcast, a series of inspiring stories from the yoga community. I was born in Singapore, but I grew up in a lot of different countries. Um, my family, we, we travelled around a lot, so I grew up in Zimbabwe and in India, uh, the UK and Japan. I went to secondary school in the UK whilst my parents lived, continued to live abroad. So um, I've been here since I was 11, essentially, and then moving, well, going to visit them in different, in different places. But as a child, um, up until the end of primary school, uh, it was really great. I really, really loved it. It was so special to be able to live in Africa and see so many animals. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it was really special. Africa, Zimbabwe was, you know, it was incredible to grow up there. Uh, well, for just a part of my life, I guess, in the 90s. Things started to get bad just before the end of our time there. So I think in the last year, I think my parents were wanting to move by that point. Um, but I remained pretty oblivious to what was going on. When I think you know, if there was somewhere that I wanted to live and I had no attachments to anything, so nothing to tie me down anywhere, I would go and live in India. So that would be the place that I would choose. My mum's Malay Singaporean, but um, grew up a lot with a lot of Indian friends. Um, and so I think she felt quite at home in India and it also being so close to Singapore. So I think because my mum felt so comfortable there and knew so much about, uh, especially South Indian culture, um, and that's where we lived. We lived in Madras in Chennai. You know, because she felt so at home there, I think she was able to show us a lot more of the country. Um, so I think that was quite special, feeling a bit more at home, at least for my mum's sake, at least. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was really, I was really lucky. Um, you know, my father worked for the Foreign Office, so we had a really beautiful house um, and lived in a really nice area of Chennai. But just opposite, uh, like on the other side of the road was, and then on the opposite side of that road um, was a m much poorer area. Mum grew up really poor. So again, I think she felt really comfortable um, on that side of the road. Um, and would take us across this like really busy road where yeah you know traffic didn't really well, I don't know one way system didn't really mean anything uh, we'd like cross over this road and uh, my brother would have to get his hair cut there and we were really young at the time and my brother would be crying because he didn't want to go to the, to the other side of the road because it felt so foreign to us you know um, and he'd get his hair cut by this guy who had these like massive thick glasses <laughs> essentially this kind of like blind barber <laughs> and uh, would have to get his hair cut from this guy and because my mum just really wanted us to experience a different side of of um of Chennai 
it was in India where I was first introduced to yoga. Um, but through a slightly different route, I really loved dancing and my mum enrolled me in some classical Indian dance classes out there. I was really privileged to have a quite a well-known teacher. Um, well, and I went to her dance school. I think she came maybe a couple of times um, and taught some of the classes, but most of the time it was some of the other teachers there. But it was a really well-known school. Um, but the whole the whole place was run in um, in Tamil, in the local language, and I couldn't speak Tamil, um, so that was quite intimidating for me, as a little kid, not knowing uh, or understanding anything. But what was really captivating for me, uh, well, obviously, you know, it's it's dance, so it's still movement based, so we can still um, interact with one another. Um, without using language. <clears throat> but what I really loved about, about it was the mudras, the, the hand gestures that are used in, in Bayanatiyam to tell a story. Um, and I think it was like from that link of the mudras, the hand gestures that I started to get into yoga after that, these kind of concepts or things that you're supposed to be focused on in, um, in a dance or even, you know, then taking it back to our asana practice, um, what you're supposed to be focused on in your practice and that's kind of how I continued on and off to do yoga until I was much older. If you're enjoying the Journey Into podcast don't forget to subscribe to receive new episodes and if you're really enjoying our series we'd love it if you could leave us a review on the Apple podcast app or Spotify. After moving back to the UK, I also lived in, um, in France and Spain for a bit and always tried to find yoga classes there. So it was always something that I looked for, um, that I've always looked for in my life. Um, and then it was, I think it was at university, I had a, a, a really great Ashtanga teacher. And I think it was through him that I became a lot more serious about it. I started doing Ashtanga six times a week um, with him um, for, you know, for two, three years and then came back to London and realised that it was some really popular trend here. <laughs> um, and what I mean to say by that is that there was like a plethora of classes and studios that I could go to and continue my practice. So then I think it just became a lot more serious through that, mainly through university and then realising that there was so much access to it here. Yoga in London was very jarring to witness when I first um, moved here. At university in, in, in Leeds, the teacher that I had, um, he'd spent a lot of time in India and, you know, we were practising in like in halls and in, in like big halls or churches and things and it felt very different to these you know like really flashy beautiful studios that you get here in London so yeah it, it was strange and especially you know having lived in India and seeing how uh, yoga is just it's really part of their lifestyle out there or definitely the people that I knew um, and also opposite where I lived uh, in India, there was a big school and I could hear them in the morning um, practicing. Um, so it 
you know, it felt very different because they weren't, these kids weren't in some, like, studio, um, <laughs> some, like, trendy East London studio practising with, like, you know, underfloor heating, and not that we needed that out there, but they were probably most definitely just outside in a playground um, practising, um, and that's how I remember it. So teaching full-time in London has come with a lot of internal battles of whether or not I think that this is the right path. I have made peace with it. I think the biggest joy for me is seeing communities form, seeing friendships form, um, seeing people look different, their body language is different, it feels like they're glowing. <laughs> Um, and that has been the biggest um, gift and reward for me to see um, to see people um, to see people really absorb yoga, um, and I don't think that you can really put a price on that. So yes, obviously I charge for my classes, and that is how I make a living. But it's not, I think I've, perhaps I'm quite lucky to say that that's not been my biggest concern. I don't think that teachers do get paid enough, to be honest, um, because there is a lot of work behind the scenes that go, up, go into like creating a class from just, you know, preparing um, the class itself to, um, yeah, staying back after class when people have questions to yeah people getting in touch via email about their injuries or concerns and as a teacher and just as a human being <laughs> you really want to be there for them teaching online has been great for not commuting oh my gosh that's been the biggest blessing <laughs> so many hours spent traveling across london each day <laughs> um so that's been amazing to not have to do that. And now preparation time is like foot for a class, like just, just before the beginning of class is like five minutes. You know, I just have to turn my computer on rather than get out of the house, get onto the tube, like, and then start to set up for the class. In terms of teaching being sustainable or not, I think a lot of the time, you know, students come including myself as a student you know you come to a yoga class because you want to like just switch off from everything else that's going on um, and you come and it's really for yourself you do the class and then for me I'm definitely one of those people that like hey thank you and then slip out and leave and as a teacher when you've got like especially you know when before covid um say you've got like 15 people in the room, 15, 20 people were in some of the biggest studios I can imagine, you know, when you, there's like 30 students, all of that neurosis, all of that energy from each person um, is really heavy in the air. So then when every student's like, okay, thank you, bye, and then slips out, the teacher's just there like, oh my God, what's just happened? <laughs> and, you know, the teacher needs to kind of ground themselves too. But if you're then needing to go to another class or just stepping out back into the streets of London, that's when it can become unsustainable. 
I think self-care for yoga teachers is so important. I have a bit of a ritual now, a routine that I do at the end of each class. I will wash my hands. I know that sounds, I don't know, maybe that sounds a bit strange, but I'll go and I'll wash my hands and it's the feeling of just kind of moving my hands along my arms and just kind of removing any excess energy. I'll stop the class, sit, ground myself, come back to me, come back to my surroundings, get up, wash my hands. And then if it um, still feels like something's not settled, I'll most often go for a walk then. Just get out of the house, like take a breath of fresh air and then it's usually fine. Yesterday I was with one of my friends and I was saying how lockdown has been um, really difficult for people that are extremely tactile like myself and not being able to hug people has been actually really difficult. You know, when I hugged my mum for the first time when lockdown eased, I didn't realise how much I needed it and just started crying. <laughs> uh, just having, you know, especially like my mother's touch against, you know, around me was, I just realised how much I'd been like trying to be tough do you know like I think I think that's what we all be, have been doing like it's okay we can do this we can do this like we can get by um and then actually having somebody else's physical um yeah physical touch just actually made me realize how how difficult it has been yeah I think after I had hugged my mum and realised um, actually how much I've been holding in for myself, that's when I did start to think about things differently. Obviously, as a teacher, that was my first priority, was to make sure that everyone wasn't just coping, that we were able to release through yoga. But I guess I probably forgot about myself during that process. Um, and then I started thinking about... Um, I don't, I don't know when the slogan came about or why it became so popular, but, you know, that poster um keep calm and carry on and I just thought I was like that's actually really dangerous like I think it's a really dangerous slogan and I, I can understand obviously the intention behind it um but no I don't know if I like it or if I agree to it at all because if that's what we have now like ingrained in ourselves no wonder so many people suffer with stress and anxiety because we're just told to keep calm and carry on um and what if you have actually been a victim of some you know really terrible things to have a slogan like that i, I just think is really dangerous i think often and i include myself in this um if i have stopped um practicing with a teacher for whatever reason, most likely because I've felt depleted and, you know, going to another yoga class just doesn't feel like the thing that I want to do. I can often get into a cycle where I start to feel guilty that I haven't gone and the teacher hasn't seen me in such a long time and then that takes me further and further away from them <laughs> and further and further away from my practice and then I feel embarrassed and, like, you know, you can get into like a weird headspace about it. Well, I can at least. Um, and I think it's about kind of getting rid of those um, those thoughts that don't serve at all. Um, and often I find, you know, I hear people when they come back to my class, being, oh, sorry, this happened, this happened. I'm like, it's, it's 
life that's fine you know it's that's part of your of of your cycle so it's it is what it is it's all right you know the point is that you're back or that that clearly yoga is part of that cycle for you um so even if you take big periods away from it that's part of the cycle thank you for listening to the journey into podcast for more content from today's teacher follow us on instagram at journey.into or visit our website at journeyinto.com.